0: Taylor Fragon and Doug Connolly work for Taylor Fragon Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Taylor Fragon Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions in securities discussed. If you are a Taylor Fragon client, please remember to contact Taylor Fragon in writing. If there are any changes in your personal financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and or services. Or if you would like to impose, add, or modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. Welcome again to the Long Only Podcast. I'm Doug. Hi, Doug. I'm Jerry. Hi, Jerry. I'm Doug. Uh, the This week, it's just hours after the quarter's ended... We think it's going to be a little bit of... Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Most importantly, uh, Jerry, did you know today I found out that today is Mark Farner's birthday?
1: And Mark Farner... Well, there's
0: two things. Number one is I found this out through Ted Nugent's Twitter account, but uh, Mark Farner's in Grand Funk Railroad. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I heard his name mentioned on The Simpsons once. Really? Yeah, when... uh, when uh, Homer went to a concert or something like that, but uh, he realized he was out of touch. So,
1: okay. anyway, happy birthday. I do not know Mark Farmer. Yeah. I didn't know he was with Grand Funk Railroad. I recognize the name, but yep. I did like Grand Funk Railroad. Did you? Although it was quite before my time. I'm not even old enough to, are, to adequately talk about Grand Funk Railroad as I am about Aldi Miola or Chicago. Well, Chicago's easy.
0: This isn't really my, you know, my preferred type of music, but I can I can fake it for a little bit. Grand Funk, they're an American band, aren't they?
1: They are an American band.
0: As they said. Yeah, so here it is in Wikipedia. We can always trust Wikipedia unless it's about politics or religion. But Mark Farner is mentioned by Homer Simpson in the Simpsons episode, Homer Palooza, season seven, episode 24. As Homer drives his children to the friends to school, Grand Funk is on the car radio. Interesting. But the children do not like it and change the station when he responds You don't like grand funk, the wild shirtless lyrics of Mark Farner, the bone rattling bass of Mel Shaker, the competent drum work of Don Brewer. So all respect to Don Brewer. It was just a funny joke. I'm not going to make any comment.
1: Uh, So quarter recap, Jerry. Um, We weren't going to go on to King Crimson? No. Okay. Do you? Should we?
0: Next time. We can talk about the stock market, we can talk about music, or we can talk about my family's concern that I try to install our own water heater.
1: I saw your picture of you trying to do that with your shoes left behind. It, <laughs> it was it was sad, so no, we don't want to talk about that. Yes. Uh, I feel
0: like it's something that I could do. I could attempt it once. I'm pretty sure.
1: Those are the kinds of things, like I'd say to people, it's really easy To do what we do for a living, it's easy. It doesn't take rocket science to manage a stock portfolio. It just takes a lot of time.
0: Well, actually, you bring up a good point. And this is so we were wise to go into this episode without a firm direction because I think we hit on something. Because I was actually thinking about this last night is my family, and I do mean literally my. I, I, I mentioned it to my extended family, my my sisters and, their, and my sisters and their spouses, my brother and his wife, my parents, and uh, on our on our family text thread. And they are legitimately concerned about me doing this uh, myself. I think attempting to try to install. <laughs> but I started thinking, and what and and to be fair to me and their opinion of me, it's probably not just because of who I am. It's because of the nature of the job. But it also, it made me wonder is it might be in a hypocrite because working in financial services, don't we, isn't part of our, um, and part of the selling point is the sort of don't leave it leave it to the professional's approach. And I think that there's times when the professional should do the job.
1: No, not at all. Well, I mean, are you being hypocritical because that's what you believe or are you saying, you are being hypocritical hypocritical because that's not necessarily what you believe because before you say anything let me let me make a point okay I mean it when I say that it's, this doesn't this isn't rocket science one of the biggest problems we have I think in this in the markets in modern markets and i'm gonna I'm gonna actually say that i've my thirty some odd years have only been in modern markets so is that <clears throat> wall Street the financial services industry has tried to sell this bill of goods that it's super complicated. You don't want to try, you know, don't try this yourself. Women and children should stay away from it. This is only for very, you know, savvy, well-trained PhDs and MBAs. Well, I wasn't even going to go there, but yeah. Um, So, and I think that's been one of the biggest problems that we have, you know, we get sucked into this idea that it's all about advanced mathematics and it's not. It's not that hard, but I mean it when I say it takes a lot of time because there's a level there's a tenacity, a discipline. You know, the the in my study of this and and by the way, I think any successful investor has to be a a, a real student of I used to say of the markets, but it's more than that. It's not of the, the markets because we you know, we like to say the markets are really should just be a Sideshow, not the show. And today it's the show, but that's, that's another podcast. You have to be a student of business. You have to be a student of, of investing. A student of history too. Absolutely. A student of history. One of the reasons why we're far more interested. You, you mentioned MBAs and I'm, you know, I'm not going to trash MBAs, but from our perspective, we're much more interested in people that have, as far as talent in our firm, people that have a very strong critical thinking background, Um, very strong classical liberal arts um, and therefore understand history and the classics and where, you know, how we got where we are. That's far more important than, um, you know, how you use, you know, mathematical equations to come up with an investment strategy, which I think is probably the worst way you can come up with an investment strategy. Um, And so most, my, my point is, is by being a student of history in that respect, history of investing, history of business, history of markets, um, you're able to to see patterns and see how things have worked in the past. And will that repeat itself or will that is that ripe for disruption? Um, and that's so, so that just takes a lot of time. It's not hard, but it takes a lot of time. I mean, you know, does there need to be a certain level of intellect? Yeah, I I think so. You have to be able to understand what you're reading um, and what you're looking at. But at the end of the day, this doesn't it isn't rocket science. Anybody who really wants to commit the time, energy, discipline, tenacity to do it can do it. But most people don't want to do that. That's why we have a a living. That's why we can make a living. But I'm the last one to sit here and say, oh, we're the only ones that can do this. By the way, there's other money managers out there unfortunately, fewer and fewer today that are perfectly capable of doing what we're doing and do a great job at it. And, you know, I consider them colleagues. Um, There's plenty to go around. Unfortunately, the mass managed money world that's out there does not have, uh, you know, does not have that kind of training or background or approach to investing. It's more about the math. Um, in fact, I'd argue that 99% of what's out there nowadays, man, maybe 98, but some large percentage over 90% is managing money that way. If they're even managing money anymore, they're mostly just closet indices. Yeah, shadow indexing, things like that. Yeah. So
0: which three letters scare you more, MBA or FBI?
1: IRS. Oh, that's not a good choice. An armed
0: IRS. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, I think, I think I'm not a hypocrite,
1: too. That's what all hypocrites say. But- and, and MBA doesn't scare me. I mean FBI absolutely scares me. <laughs> MBA doesn't scare me. What it scares me is that there's too much emphasis on the math in in a master's business program instead of just the understanding of how business actually works.
0: Well, probably the in fairness to the MBA program, that's probably what, not where all the nerdy financial engineering is coming from. I mean, rip, they're they're oh, no, it's in,
1: coming from the engineering. It's coming from the
0: engineering. Yeah, the, the there have been there's been a ton of. Uh, energy, resources, talent, directed away from engineering
1: to financial engineering. We just brought this up. And all of you out there in podcast land should watch the movie Margin Call. We just brought this up the other day. Who was the guy that figured out what was wrong at the oops moment when the firm that was invested in all those highly leveraged mortgage-backed securities positions, who figured out that they had a problem? Was the engineer. And what did he say? He said, you know, he, he rattled off all his advanced engineering degrees and what did he say was the reason he he was working for financial service? Because they paid so much better. That's really unfortunate. I mean, and this is absolutely not a dig on engineers. Engineers are amazing people. I really want them to engineer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're building and a derivative. And that's not an algorithm
0: for mortgage-backed security. Yes. A building a derivative is not the same as building a bridge.
1: Right. And Lord knows we need more bridges. bridges.
0: Exactly. <laughs> With, with regard to when I've done stuff myself and I have done, I've got a 66% built shed in my backyard, which Jerry has seen. It's going to be a, a man's gathering, a men's gathering space at some point, hopefully soon. But it, I built it. I built it reasonably sturdy. But having framed a few things, I know that the big difference, sure, is someone who's a professional going to do it better than me? But the big difference is the scale at which they can work in terms of how quickly they can get a job. That's what truly amazes me about the professional framework. Absolutely, is how quickly and the same way we do take advantage of scale because we're doing this for multiple portfolios for hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars at one time. Mm-hmm. Which and we have, you know, we have a a, team, a small team, but a team nonetheless of people who can do it. That's where the. I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm going to echo what you say, and it's not that we can do it and an individual can't. It's where our, our relative advantage comes in. Well, let me
1: tell you something. This is, this is, I've said this to very few people. So to say it on a podcast is somewhat revealing. You mentioned about, can individuals do the course? You can do it. Anybody, I said, anybody can do this who wants to be disciplined, take time, tenacity. Um, not very many people can do it for other people's money. If you're an honest person doing this for other people's money, you probably just need to get used to the fact that you don't sleep at night. It's it's not about our money. It's about that we're putting our money side by side with a bunch of other people's money. That is a really challenging task. That is something that you don't take lightly. And so... Yeah, it it forces you to have, stick to a discipline because it's the only way to 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 manage other people's money is to be disciplined about and professional. That's what the professionalism is. It's not how many you know algorithms you come up with. It's how disciplined you are in what is the kind of company that I'm looking for, and that's the question that our research is asking all the time. Is this a Taylor Forgone core growth company? Is this a Taylor Forgone income strategy company? There are there's a very clear, you know. Internally understood definition of what those are, it, 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 and so I, I think that's that's just a really important thing to point out. Is in, in, in professional investing, the hardest part is in being a professional investor is when you're doing it, you you're, you're you're managing other people's money. So, can you think of a time where, at least in retrospect, I mean,
0: obviously they can't all be winners. We know that, but in yeah. retrospect. You got a company that wasn't a tailor for Gone core growth company. Or you, you 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 through one way or the other, once slipped past the goalie, we fudged the standards, we didn't we didn't tell. I mean, you 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 told yourself a good story and believed it. It's gonna happen all the time. But well, whatever.
1: anytime that it's the narrative process, anytime you you make an investment, you think it's obviously fitting your criteria. But part of the process of monitoring what's going on in your companies is the the real it's it's the paranoia. It's, it's like what Gordon. Uh, Gecko. No, not Gordon. Gecko. Andrew Grove, Andy Grove of okay. uh, Intel. He said only the paranoid survive. That was with respect to the semiconductor industry, but it's in technology. But it's also true just in managing a portfolio for other people. It's you're constantly challenging. And that's what we're asking ourselves our research is is kind of misleading because we're researching new ideas all the time but it's also a scrutiny of your past research we're always asking ourselves the question okay are we still is this still our kind of company did we do, is our is our is the narrative intact and is the thesis with respect to the company intact and when it, as soon as we sense that it's not that's when we regardless of what's happening with markets regardless of what's going on we're out we're out. Um, Well-managed companies, fertile fields of future growth. The fertile fields of future growth is the part about narratives and theses. The other thing that would cause us to get out is management just made move or statement. Even it can even be a statement from management that sends us in a direction uh, of heading towards the exits because it's like, "Mm, that's not what we consider the way a well-managed company executive speaks, or that's not the tack that they take. Yeah. So, does that happen? Yes, it happens fortunately, and i and I can say pretty confidently, because you can look at the record, um, from a business standpoint, there it, we've we fortunately have rarely gotten the business wrong. There have been some for sure, or there have been some managements that we've gotten wrong. Um, but the vast majority of those are we've been successful with the business and the management doesn't necessarily mean we've yet been successful with the value of the company. Yep. And, so, and, the, and, if, and the thing that's really, and this is where the tenacity and discipline comes in is, are you willing to look like an absolute idiot for years at a time waiting for something to happen? And so, I mean, for our type of strategy, one of the downsides or the, the, the risks for us is we're very patient, almost too patient. Um, the worst thing that happens when you just get kicked in the gut. And again, this hasn't happened very often is when you've waited a long, long time and then you find out it's not working out. And that might, it's not always, again, this has happened rarely. And and I'm, I'm pleased that that's the case. It's, it's, it's not always the case that it's a failure of, uh, you know, the business was wrong or the management was wrong. Sometimes, it can just be wrong because of circumstances outside of the company's management, circumstances outside of what the business model is that, uh, you know, that can affect things natively. We're seeing a lot of that right now with young upstart companies, particularly private companies. Fortunately, that hasn't hit our portfolio yet, but we're seeing a lot of companies, st- startup companies were, you know, maybe startups a few years ago, um, Because of what's happened with COVID and the interruption of supply chains and businesses being thrown up into, you know, all kinds of disarray that a lot of companies that probably should absolutely be successful are going to run out of runway and fail. It's not their fault. There's an outside. That's part of risk. I mean, that's, you know, what we try and do with picking the right management, picking the right narrative and the thesis around a business that's tied to that narrative is alleviate the risks, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have some, you know, a nuclear bomb go off and just blows you out of the water. It can happen. And that's why we don't own two companies or one company, you know, in the public portfolios that we manage, each one has between 30 and 50 companies. Um, You know, right now we only have six venture companies, but we have six venture companies. We don't have one. So, uh, you know, there are things that will um, cause problems for you uh, that you, they're outside your control sometimes. So rarely, because often most of the time, really good management teams. And let me back up a second. I'm going to say rarely with respect to established public companies. Okay. Um, rarely will they well-managed companies in front of fertile fields of growth. They will most of the time manage through in spite. We say that all the time we get by in spite. They'll manage through. It's harder for a startup for a private, you know, venture-funded company, you know, maybe they're j- they just haven't had a chance to get to market yet. Well, you can be the smartest management team in the world, you can have the greatest product and everything, but you haven't gotten to market, and everything goes awry outside—that's outside your control. More common again, but that's the reason why venture capital is a whole lot riskier than public company investing most of the time. It,
0: I found in a lot of uh, domains, in the sort of incubation phase, the cream does not always rise to the top.
1: Well, that's happened more and more in recent times with the way money has flowed into into venture. That's you know, too much money, you know, chasing gigantic, you know, um, unicorn type valuations in, in in private companies that has shunned a lot of the smaller, maybe not as sexy, but very very viable businesses that have never seen the light of day because of the the big money flowing to the big giant unicorns, many of which. Should never have gotten any kind of valuation. There's all kinds of distortions that have gone on there. It's not the same venture capital world as it was once either. Very true. Another podcast. Yes.
0: Well, let's take it to the quarter. We're hours. We're hours removed from the quarter ending. It appears that preliminary numbers rough back the envelope envelope math. We're going to be about even. The indices are probably going to be down uh, a little bit. I, I'm. I'm thinking maybe around four or five points.
1: I think that's what you said. Yeah. yeah, that's, what I, that's, that's definitely right. what I
0: said. Whether I'm right, we'll see. And you know, uh,
1: but I. I think,
0: I think that's how it's looking. What it seems to me that, and I'm. We'll th- take a
1: win anywhere we can. Yes, we'll take anywhere we can. <laughs> After it. this last year, um, the.
0: It seems to me conventional wisdom the conventional wisdom narrative of the of the predictions which is always dangerous so uh, but it is what it is the conventional wisdom is that we're going to see some sort of rally the, the fourth quarter it se- it seems like i'm hearing more and more people say that what are your thoughts
1: uh, we you know we don't try and predict short-term market movement i think it's pretty darn ugly out there and oversold. And it's likely that there's a relief out there. I don't know if it's fourth quarter. It would make sense. I mean, the seasonal aspects, September, historically the worst month of the year, October, the most bottoms have ever been made are in October. Um, But I hear this year, the white house is canceling Christmas. So how will that affect things? Then I think that for sure, we're going to just crash. Uh (laughs) Um, All part of the creative destruction of the current regime. I, so is it, is it this for the fourth quarter seasonally? Yes, that probably would make sense. Um, somewhere out here, there's going to be a recognition. And by the way, we, as I think we've made it clear, we're now strongly in the camp. As much as we hated the easy money, we are strongly in a camp of thinking that the Fed needs to go, you know, they've gone too far. They need to slow down on the or not slow down probably stop the interest rate increases. Um inflation's a, f- a backwards looking indicator. So forward looking indicators, commodity prices are all down. Um, a, a, a lot of the price points that were causing the inflation that we're seeing now hit the numbers. Remember those are previous price points re- reaching numbers now. Those those are rolling over. So I think you probably have reached peak inflation for now. Money supply growth is finally somewhat slow. It's slowed to low single digits um, after being up 40 some odd percent insanely over two years. I think probably the next big move in rates is actually down. And I think they'll probably overshoot on the downside, too. Um, This is, you know, just from observation. We're not trying to make economic calls or or interest rate calls. That's not what we do. Um, But I think that there's, you know, everybody and their brother thinks that we're, you know, Hyperinflation is just continuing continuing out into the future ad infinitum. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we're, And so any hint that the Fed is done, and that may come sooner than you'd think, because these guys are so scared to death. They know they've screwed up. But their method of fixing it is wrong. Their Phillips curve economy, you know, neo-Keynesian economy causes inflation. Economic growth causes inflation. Employment causes inflation type guys. And that's wrong. Um, it's why they're attacking the U.K. right now for doing the right thing and putting some pro growth measures from a fiscal policy standpoint, they don't get it, but that's what actually economic growth right now would help to alleviate a lot of the inflation problems. Cause it would suck up a lot of the, you know, problems that are out there in the way of money floating around that shouldn't have been there for the last two years. It would use that money up. It would, it would fix the supply chain issues. Um, Enough of that because we've talked about that. I think on the one before the podcast before the one before that. Anyway, but the point is, is that there's probably a surprise to the market out there when the Fed is sooner rather than later ending up coming up with, "Oops, (laughs) you know, now we're going to backpedal here a bit," or you know, "We're we're done for a while." And believe me, there's a lot of people that are generally on the side that I'm arguing for that don't think that they think this is still, you know, going to go on and on and on. as far as inflation is concerned, and I think that's not the case, and it's indica- indicative by what you're seeing in actual prices right now. So that's going to eventually show up in the numbers very, very soon. Um, so is that fourth quarter? Is it first quarter? Um, either way, I think we're not out of the woods until we start doing a little bit of what the UK is doing. Um, and that's, No, it could rally fourth quarter and then go back down as we're in like a range-bound. I think we are so. relatively range-bound until we get some semblance that things have you know been recognized by powers that be that there were some serious mistakes made here in the last few years.
0: Well, and I think in, in investing there's two kinds of people. There's people who say uh, I'm I'm not in the prediction business. I'm going to make a prediction but don't bet on it. And there's people who say I'm in the prediction business, but I'm going to make a prediction and do bet on it. We're not telling people to bet on our prediction, but I think the big, the biggest thing that I, that I would I probably like to impart to the investor is and I think you would say the same thing. Don't head for the hills. We know we do know now that whatever happens, if you buy in, you're not going to be buying at an all time high. No, That's for certain. No. And this is a time to stay, maintain a sense of discipline and not just, you know, go in bunker mode.
1: Look, I, th- I think that. Um, I think that this will be proven to have been a relatively low period and, and whether we go a little bit lower or not, I don't know, but and whether we go snapping right back, I don't know. if the the more aggressive they get and I don't necessarily want that. We talked about that I think earlier today or yesterday that I don't necessarily want to see this. sure all you know clients would love to see those accounts snap right back, but you know it's the up 140 some odd percent from the lows of 2020 that that are that probably should not have happened that way that caused the pain that we've been going through over the last nine to 12 months, much rather see a a more solid staircase type, you know, rise and, and maybe even a period of sideways of base building here, let things get taken care of, let the supply chains heal. Let's get some pro growth type measures, you know, get the regulatory regimes off, off businesses back, Um, get energy pumping again. Um, And, you know, I think that that will be a big boost to the long-term health, long-term economic growth. Um, so at the very least, I mean, none of those policy things are going to change anytime soon. So, um, at least not in the next year to two years, we're probably going to need a presidential election to get that done. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that the market won't find it or that, you know, that, that companies won't find their way through this. They usually do. Um, and, as far as the Fed working against us right now, we've got fiscal policy working against us. We've got the Fed working against us. I think the Fed stops working against us here um, a lot sooner maybe than people think. All right. Well, one thing is for sure is that
0: well, no one knows the day or the hour. These no, things always surprise us. And this
1: is all speculation. Exactly. I mean, right. It's not the way we do things. If you're a long-term investor, you should be buying growth assets and, and, and assets of companies that will, you know, five to 10 years from now will be a lot more you know, valuable than they are today.
0: All right. We'll leave it at that till next week. Check us out. Uh, we are online at Taylorforgone.com The podcast has a handle. Let me check out what that is. Cause I'm, I'm always, I think it's, I need to see about changing the name to something friendlier, but we got to, we're at, uh, at the long only pod one. So I don't know. It's Twitter is what Twitter is. I'm trying not to get sucked into it. Um, and then you are at uh, at G is your Twitter. So please check us out either of those places. Again, rate us on iTunes. Uh, check our website again, taylorforgone.com. Until next week, I am Doug Connolly and speaking for Jerry Forgon. Have a great week and thanks for listening.